right. It's so nice to have uh, one more opportunity to speak to you. And I've got so much to say, such a little time to say it. So let me just kind of cut right to the, the chase. Here's what I want you to take away from this morning in terms of what I, I want for you. Uh, because I love you, number one, I want the blessings of God to rest upon all of you. I think we've got a slide if we can put that up there. Uh, number two, I want you to walk in step with the grand purpose that God has for your life. Then number three, I want the goodness of God to saturate every aspect of your life, including your hearts as well as your behaviors. I also want for you to live life forward with God in humble trust. And then finally, I, I, I wish for you all to, uh, to cling tightly to Jesus, okay, to, to the one who is never false, who is always true, so that you will stand strong and never fall. Now, now, like I said, I've got so much that I want to communicate in such little time, and so I'm going to lean really, really heavily on Jesus here this morning because Jesus is good at communicating a whole lot in a short period of time. And so the vast majority of what I say this morning is just going to be quotations straight from Jesus. And so how many of you are, are thumbs up on Jesus? Okay, let the record show that at least 90% of us are all pro-Jesus, Okay. Now, I'm glad that I got that commitment from you in advance because oftentimes Jesus gives us a word that we don't necessarily like. It, it challenges us uh, or it conflicts with us. And in those moments, we have to understand the word of Jesus doesn't change, shouldn't have to change, it won't change. We're the ones who need to change. Now, Fred Wilson used to say all the time, the only person around here that likes change is a wet baby. Uh, and, and I know that's true. We don't typically want to change or there's a word for it in the Bible, repent. But whenever Jesus speaks, we, we, need to, we need to repent. And those of us who are believers should not have any trouble with this. As a believer, I exercise daily this repentance. I know that I need to be more and more conformed uh, to the image of, of Christ. And so this morning, as worshipers, our understanding is even before Jesus speaks, our answer is always only yes. Jesus is our Lord. He's not our consultant. And what that means is my answer to him is, yes, Lord, whatever you want. My answer is already yes, because you don't have to give me a word and then me evaluate it and figure out whether or not I want to submit or not. He's the Lord. He's not the consultant. And so I'm glad that we've already established that we're all good with Jesus and whatever Jesus says goes, right? And so whatever Jesus has to say to us this morning, I think is going to be very helpful and, uh, and will help this church and help you individually as well as everyone corporately, to, to move forward uh, healthfully and in grace. So I know some of us get a little bit nervous. Oh, where, where's Jesus going to take us this morning? Look, you can trust Jesus because what I want is what Jesus wants, or let me, or whatever Jesus wants is what I want. Specifically, let me put it to you like this. Here's what Jesus wants for you. He wants the same thing that I want. Jesus wants the blessings of God to rest on all of you. Thumbs up. Jesus wants you to walk in step with God's grand purpose for your life. That's fantastic. Jesus wants for your hearts and your actions to be saturated in the goodness of God. Jesus also wants you to live your life forward with God in humble trust. And Jesus also, I know for a fact, he, he wants for you to cling tightly to him, the one who is always true, never false, so that your life will always stand and never crash. So I'm just going to tell you, even though Jesus is an equal opportunity offender, you know, he challenges all of us in different ways. He's on your side. Okay, and I'm on your side. These are all the things that Jesus wants you. So how do you know that Jesus wants these things? Let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. 
I'm going to be just basically going through Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we're just going to take a word from Jesus. And then when Jesus is done speaking, well, then that's it. Enough said, then we're done. Real simple. In Matthew chapter 5 specifically, Jesus, or the, the scripture begins this way. It says, when he, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them uh, these words. And you're his disciples. He began to teach them saying, blessed. Okay, that's right where he starts because Jesus wants you to be blessed. He wants the blessings of God to rest on you. But there's a certain disposition or posture of the soul that is important. If you don't have the right posture, you won't be blessed. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know they're at the bottom of the totem pole, not who see themselves as, as at the top of the totem pole. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, not the merciless, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the meek, uh, not the harsh and the haughty, uh, b- because uh, they will inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are those who, who mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. Those who mourn over the sin and their brokenness and how they've broken other people. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not those who hunger and thirst for self-covering or self-righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are, are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, not the duplicitous, for they'll be uh, called the sons of God. They'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they'll be called the sons of God. He goes on about all these attitudes. Let me just kind of take a moment here to, to talk through the peacemaker. Because when Jesus makes peace, he makes peace in a substantial, real, lasting way. That's true peacemaking. When I was uh, living in South Texas, uh, we lived on Taylor Road, which is kind of a country road, and it was paved, but, but it always had these potholes. And my parents will attest to this that whenever there were potholes on this road, people would come and smooth things over quickly. And for, for whatever reason, the county workers thought, let's just fill in the potholes with sand or sand and gravel. You know, that doesn't really work. Over time, the potholes get bigger and they get worse. Jesus Christ did not work for the Hidalgo County road system. Okay. Blessed are the peacemakers, not those who smooth over the potholes with sand and and, and gravel, those who bring lasting, substantial peace. And blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all of this means that Jesus is the most blessed person who ever lived. Are you ready to be blessed? Well, I, I hope so, because Jesus continues and he says to you and me, like we shouldn't be surprised by this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, obviously, he wants you to be blessed. He wants me to be blessed. He wants all of us to be blessed. But in order to be blessed, you have to have the right posture. That is to say, you, you, can't, have your, you can't have your fists tight. The, the virtue of an open hand is it's in a position to receive what it is that God has to give. You'll never be blessed when there's like this toward God or this toward other people. The appropriate posture for blessing is... This or, or this toward God and toward one another. But he does want you to be blessed. I want you to be blessed by God. So that, number two, you'll live in step with God's great purposes for your life. And you're familiar with these words. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. The preservative. 
You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by people. When metal turns to rust, that's it. It's done. There's no going back. When salt gets corrupted, it's over. You throw it out, it's done. That's why whenever there's corruption individually or corporately, you got to root it out, you got to root it out quickly because once the corruption sets in, it's over, it's done. There's, there's no going back. You're the lie of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they set it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. Uh, as most of you know, uh, Gene and I were in Israel in the Holy Land uh, a couple of weeks ago, and one of the places we went to was the Qumran community. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. That's where the Essenes did their work. And, and the Essenes called themselves the people of the light. They would copy scripture and study the scripture, but 100% they were committed to only teaching themselves and talking to themselves. They never talked to anybody outside the Essene community. They, they, they didn't want to communicate the word of God to other people. And interestingly enough, the Essenes were up on a hill and they lived in caves. The people of the light lived in caves. Kind of interesting because Jesus tells the disciples, he tells you and me, you're the light of the world and, oh, and don't do it like those guys. You take your, your light and you don't put it in a cave. You don't do the holy huddle syndrome. You set it out there on a stand so that it gives light to everyone so that they can praise your Father in heaven. It's a wonderful, glorious purpose. But the purpose that we live is lived only when we have the blessings of God rest on us. You see, there's kind of an order here. He doesn't say you need to act like the salt or you need to be like the light. You are the salt of the, of the world. You, you're, you are the, the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. It's a grand purpose. But again, how do I live in light of this purpose? Jesus goes on and he spends a whole lot of time talking about the goodness of God soaking down to the very core of your being, past even your behaviors, to your very heart and your attitude and your disposition. So he spends a lot of time exposing or just kind of laying bare the law for us. And it's kind of interesting that in the next passage, in the next uh, few verses, Jesus just talks about the law. And he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices them and teaches others to do the same will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's real obvious to us, it ought to be obvious to us, that Jesus takes the revelation of God, even the law of God, incredibly seriously. In fact, if you rewind in your minds to the Old Testament where God gives the law through Moses on Mount Sinai, you recognize that the giving of the law, of the rules of God, that was the great equalizer to the congregation, to the family of God. Everybody had to abide by the same rules. That's how it's always been in God's family. It didn't matter if you were a peasant or the King David. It, everybody lived by the same rules. In fact, God himself did not put himself above or outside of the very rules and laws that God laid down. And so when Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came, he fulfilled every aspect of the law because he himself was not outside the rules that he gave. And he submitted himself to the law and to the rules, to the bottom of his heart, even to the last beat of his heart. This is how seriously God takes all of us 
under the law, submitting ourselves to God. But Jesus presses beyond just external observance and gets right down into the heart. And this is where it gets really, really challenging. And you're going to be challenged. I just want to tell you that if you're not hit by one thing, you're going to get hit by another because Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. Okay. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. But I tell you, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says to his brother, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Otherwise, he'll hand you over to the judge, the judge will hand you over to the officer, and the officer will hand you over to the prison, and I tell you, you're not going to get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Within the family of God, here's how it works. When it comes to tension, when it comes to fights, when it comes to conflict, when it comes to disagreements, you don't allow those things to stand any longer than is absolutely necessary. That's the way it is in the family of God. You put an end to it quickly. If there's tension, if there's conflict, if there's a fight. Jesus goes on and he says, You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Uh, but anyone, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. He's serious about this. And he goes on and says, you've heard that it was said if a man divorces his wife, he must give her a certificate of divorce. But I'm telling you, if uh, you divorce your wife for any reason except for marital unfaithfulness, then you cause your wife to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep your oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear by anything. Do not swear at all. Don't swear by heaven, for it is the Lord's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for this is the city of the great king. Don't even swear by your head because you can't even make one hair white or black. Just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist. Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you, and take your tunic. Let them have your cloak as well. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who borrows from you. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Basically, anytime what Jesus is communicating, if someone wants to take from you, that's okay. If you're in a relationship with God, you have far more to give than anyone could possibly imagine to take. You just let that attitude out. And then Jesus says, what's really challenging, and if you haven't been convicted so far, this might get you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Uh, Don't even pagans do that. Be perfect. Perfect. 
therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect love. Now, when you see Jesus laying open the law the way that he does, it ought to be very, very plain to you that there's essentially two categories. There's Jesus, who's way up here, and then there's all of us down here. Our faults may be a little bit different, but there's this Jesus, and then there's all of us. There's not us and them, or us and them and them, or all of us and them. There's just all of us and him. If you see otherwise, it's because you're not seeing Jesus properly and not, you're not seeing yourself and your sin for what it is. That creates a humility before God and also an identity with other people, even if you happen to be on occasion on the other side of the fence or dealing with a slightly different malady. Nobody loves with the consistency. Nobody loves with the sacrifice. Nobody loves indiscriminately like Jesus does. And so when you see Jesus for who he is and when you see yourself for who you are and your sin for what it is, here's what happens. It makes you poor of spirit. It makes you merciful. It makes you meek and all of the rest. Don't you see? It all flows from your vision. Now, most of us in this room, we wish that the goodness of God would penetrate our hearts to where we would be like Jesus. How's that going to happen because I'm not there yet? Well, Jesus gives us a clue starting in chapter 6. He gives us a means of moving forward with him. And that is there's this direction which runs like this. Keep it real in your relationship with God. No religious fakery is allowed. The church is not a place or should not be a place for religious fakery. It ought to be a place of authentic, broken repentance. Jesus puts it like this. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have received your reward in full. So when you give to the needy, do not do it like the hypocrites do who love to give standing in the streets and in the synagogues to be seen by other people. I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward in full. But when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be done in secret. Then your father who's unseen, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Then he continues, said, and when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray on the, in, in the street corners and in the synagogues to be seen by other people. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and then you pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I, I want you to catch this. God sees everything. He sees what's done in secret, and he rewards or does not in accordance with what he sees. He even sees the secrets of our hearts. He sees the motivation of our soul. He sees it all. Jesus moves forward and he says, and when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans who think they'll be heard for the many words because your, your father already knows what you need even before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And it's so relational, so normal. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What a simple prayer. And then Jesus has a comment because he, he doesn't want us to miss this. He says, but if, so if you forgive others their sins against you, your father will forgive you your sins. But if you don't forgive other people their sins, your father's not going to forgive your sins. Now that's quite a challenge because for Christians, doesn't matter what the situation, doesn't matter what the circumstances, forgiveness is never optional. It's always required no matter what. And if you have a hard time forgiving people, it's because of one of two things. Either you don't know the forgiveness of Jesus yourself, or 
You just need to dig in a little bit more into his forgiveness. So the good news is, in every opportunity that's given you to forgive people, it gives you a chance to get to know Jesus better. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you just thank God for people to forgive? You should. It helps you get to know Jesus better and his love for you. Now, just real quickly, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. If you break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, you can forgive them, but don't get back together with them, okay? Trust and forgiveness are different from one another. Jesus came to give forgiveness to all people, but in John chapter 2 at the end, it talks about how he didn't trust people because he knew it was in their hearts. Just because you forgive doesn't mean that you can't let go and just keep moving. Okay, So Jesus teaches us all these things, and as if that's not convicting enough, he keeps pressing because he's an equal opportunity offender. And he, good grief, I'm way ahead here. When you fast, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show people they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil in your head and wash your face so that it's not obvious to others that you're fasting. And then your father who sees what's done in secret will, will reward you, okay? All of this is very, very challenging. But then when you've got things right with God or you're moving in the right direction with God, you know, personally in your soul and you're living in accordance with purpose and he's transforming your vision of yourself and you're becoming more and more like Jesus, there's a certain way that you're supposed to live in life and that's not backwards, but it's forwards. And you don't live forward in trust of yourself, believing in yourself and all the rest. You live forward in humble trust in God. And that's where Jesus spends a lot of time right up toward the end of chapter 7. And it's really kind of challenging uh, to live life forward in humble trust of God, especially when you feel like the earth is kind of crumbling beneath your feet. If you feel like you're, you know, you're unsteady and there's like a rug pull going on or whatever, you're just like, oh, Lord, how am I going to move forward? It's always the same. You look, you live your life forward in trust of God. It's a forward focus. It's a forward and upward focus, not a backward or condescending focus. Here's how Jesus puts it. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures for yourselves in heaven. I mean, you talk about forward and upward looking. I mean, past the grave on the other side of eternity, that's where your focus should be. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you looking? Are you looking up to God? Are you looking forward to the future with God? That's where you look. That's where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are bad, the whole body is full of... If the eyes are good, the whole body's full of light. If the eyes are bad, the whole body's full of darkness. If the, if the light within you is darkness, how great then is that darkness? You better make sure your focus is on the right thing, forward and upward. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and stuff. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, and this is real challenging. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than, than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So don't worry about tomorrow. 
Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field. They don't labor or spin or any of that. And yet, I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was clothed like one of these. If that then is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into fire tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow is going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, if you've been paying attention to Jesus here, it's almost like you can hear in the background John Denver playing it. i got a peaceful, easy feeling. You know, because your life's in God's hands. And you should be at rest, because your life is in his hands. And because you've entrusted your life to him, there's something else that you can do. You can entrust the lives of other people to God, too. It's not up to me, and it's not up to you to fix every little thing with everybody else like you could control that. God's the one who's in control. He's providential. He is wise. He sees what needs to happen. He's got perfect timing. You can release your life to God, but you can also release other people to God, too. And this is, I think, what Jesus is getting at when he comes to do not judge, or you, too, will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you too will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, sometimes we want to just bring the truth to bear. And Jesus says, be careful. Number one, be careful. You need to watch for the judgment that is coming for you. Because we're all sinners. We're all equally in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And God is going to judge the living and the dead. And that includes you and that includes me. And so what goes around comes around. Be careful how you measure to others. It's going to be measured to you. Be cautious. Just let God take care of some things here, okay? Then number two, Jesus goes on and he, and he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You know, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when the, all the while there's a plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I'm all for having a speck removed out of my eye. I just don't want blind people doing it, Okay? Jesus is all for us correcting one another, if it's possible. But before you do the judgment, before you bring the truth to bear, you better be careful to not only watch out for the judgment coming for you, but you need to watch out for yourself. Uh, you know, the hypocrisy is, it is so put-offish and destructive. And you say, well, how could I possibly know what's going on in my life if I've got a plank in my own eye? If I'm blind, how can I see? Well, that's the point. A lot of times you may think that you see and you don't see. Be careful. To, to uh, Be careful in your ability to overestimate what's really going on in your life. You just might be blind. Otherwise, you would have pulled that plank out of your eye a long time ago. Be careful. You say, well, I still want to know what's going on in me. Here's, here's kind of a clue. People do this all the time. It's called projection. If you're blind, you will see in other people what you cannot see in yourself. True story. Several years ago, when Gene and I, like years ago, like a couple of decades ago, we were at, at uh, Island Baptist Church. It's a very, very dysfunctional church. And we left there. And when we left, it was it got really weird. And there was this one lady. I actually baptized two of her kids. I think I baptized her husband, too. And after we left, there was all this stuff. And, and she was spreading this rumor that I was, a, that I was selling marijuana. Now, thank, let the record show that half of the people laughed at that thought. Uh, 
I, that I was selling marijuana, and I think I'd actually be pretty good at it because I'm kind of s- smooth, you know. But you know, I got a sales, I got a salesman gene, okay. But I wasn't selling marijuana, just so you know. But it was like, what? What are you doing? What? Sure enough, I kid you not, this is a true story. You, Gina can raise her hand on this. Within about six months, I know it was within a year. I think it was about within six months. Her husband was arrested, sent to prison on charges of drug trafficking. I mean, you just, you can't make this stuff up, okay? So, look, you want to bring the truth to bear? I get that. Just watch out for the judgment coming for you. Watch out for yourself. And then number two, just kind of, or number three, watch out for people, okay? Jesus puts it like this. Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, if you want to bring truth out, and, and, and maybe it's all for redemptive purposes, and you've done your own self-examination, and you're trying to be humble about it, and you think you've got 20-20 vision, and if you want to try to kind of take the speck out, and the people, for whatever reason, are not wanting to go there, don't go there. Okay, honestly, uh, be careful. Uh, because the truth could be trampled and you and those you love could be torn up too. Okay. I know this maybe sounds cowardice-ish or something, but look, I just want to be really plain. Sometimes, sometimes the best thing to do is just let it go or let it go and, and move on. There are occasions when Jesus absolutely does not want you to touch it. If there's some sacred cow, secret truth, and you don't need to touch it, Jesus doesn't want you to touch it because your hand's just going to get chopped off in the process. Don't go there. Or let me put it a little bit differently. We need to be careful not only about how we judge or don't judge, but we also need to be careful or cautious about how we judge, how other people judge or don't judge. Because it could be entirely possible that somebody is seeing that, hey, this isn't going anywhere and this isn't going to help anybody. And if you have solid reason to believe that your truth is going to be trampled or that people are going to turn on you, it's worse than foolish to go there. Let me put it to you like this. How many of you, some of y'all have been around churches for a long time. How many of you have ever been in a church fight and you thought, wow, that ended well. That was fantastic. I am so glad we duked it out for several months. Anybody? Okay, let the record show that while most of the people here like Jesus... None of the people here think church fight's really worth it. It's true. true. Or put it a little bit differently. Suppose you really do have 20-20 vision, your heart's in the right place, and you've got this child, and and and, and you know they've got a, a, a speck you need to remove. If, even if you have the surgeon's skill and a, and, a, and a soft touch, if that kid knocks your hand away, stop poking. You'll gouge their eye out, and they might turn around and gouge yours out too. Just wisdom, okay? There's just wisdom there. So Jesus encourages us, give your life to the Father. Just live your life forward in trust of God and and live your life forward in trust that God will take care of other things in due season, that he can take care of people and and problems because it's not my job. And as pastor, my my job was to help point people in the right direction, to love people, to give you the truth, My job was never to take God's job, which is to heal and to forgive and to change. That's that's up to God. 
Your, your job, my job, is not to fix every little thing. It's just to encourage as best we can, and you leave the results up to God. That hasn't changed for me, and shouldn't have changed for any of you here either. And sometimes we go, well, that just makes me feel powerless. Like, what am I going to do? Well, here's what you do. You live your life forward trusting God. You live your life forward and trusting other people to God. And then you do what you can always do, which is to pray. Go to the God who changes things, who can address things. And you're not powerless, so you pray for me. I pray for you. We pray for one another. There's a lot of power in prayer. There is almost zero positive result in trying to take matters into our own hands and make things happen that just aren't going to happen. You just pray. And that's where Jesus takes us next. Ask and it, and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Because everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be open. Jesus says, who of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children who ask, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, all of this has been very, very challenging, and Jesus knows that it's challenging. And, and so he tells us, so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, because this sums up the law and the prophets. And it's all hard, and he knows this, and so he says, so enter through the narrow gate. The right way, the God-honoring way, is almost always the most narrow and the least traveled. There's a warning. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that, we, that leads to life. And only a few find it. Take the narrow way. Go the least traveled way. Listen to these words of Jesus. Then Jesus wraps all this up by, by pointing attention, I think, to himself. Trust in the one. Trust in Jesus, who is always true and never false, so that your life never falls and always stands. He says it like this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Don't be deceived by external sweetness. There can be a real external sweetness and an incredible bitterness inside. It does happen. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick figs from thorn bushes or or, or grapes from thistles? Uh, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Not on everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, uh, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and perform many miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. You know, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you doers of iniquity, you, you evildoers. Jesus lets us know, don't watch what they say, watch what they do. That's how Jesus figured things out. And when it comes to people you can trust, it's Jesus, because Jesus has done far more for you than you could ever deserve. And the truth about me, no matter what the day is or what the season is, is I'm I'm already getting better than I deserve. I love that statement from Charles Lance. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. That's the truth. But then Jesus wraps it all up with some rather famous words. You know what they are. He says, you know, anyone who hears these words of mine, I don't think it's just like all the Bible, like the words that Jesus has just spoken to you, everyone who hears these words that he's just spoken, these words of mine, and puts them into practice, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. 
and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Which, by the way, just real quickly, since we did the uh, children dedication here this morning, let me just remind you that when you build a house, it's not just about you. It's about everybody else in the house. If your house stands, everybody else around you benefits. This last weekend, uh, Shelby graduated, and then her boyfriend graduated, and so we had his family over and my family over, and my parents were there, and my, my brother was there, and niece and nephews were there, and then we had friends that were over there. And then I also learned that Shelby's going to be there a lot longer. She's going to live with us forever, which is fantastic. But anyways, the house is not about me. It's also about everybody else that's in the house. And so when you choose the right foundation, it's not just about you. It's about the collateral blessing or the collateral damage. You choosing to live in line with these words of Christ goes a long way toward helping or hurting other people around you. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the house, the winds blew and beat against that house, and then the house fell with a great crash. This is the word of the Lord. And I pray that you'll take these words to heart, that you will put them into practice. Because again, what is it that Jesus wants for you? He wants for you what I want for you. Jesus wants the blessings of God to rest upon each and every one of you. Jesus wants you to walk in step with the grand purpose God has for your life. Jesus wants your hearts as well as your actions to be saturated with the goodness of God. Jesus wants you to live your life forward in humble trust. And then Jesus wants you to stick to the one who is true and never false so that your life will always stand and never fall. Jesus is finished. Enough said. Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, we want to say thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for speaking to us today. And we pray that we will live according to these words. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we're out of time. And so... Uh, Guys, we're just gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, I wanted to before John comes up here. Let me see if I can find this.